when we get a new patient coming in who has never worked with a compounding pharmacy before, we have to kind of explain to them, this is going to be a different experience for you. We're now part of your care team. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to episode number 128 of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Today's guest is Peter Koshland. He is a PharmD, or Doctor of Pharmacy, graduated from Georgetown University with a chemistry major and a math minor, and earned his PharmD from the University of California at San Francisco School of Pharmacy, WCSF where he currently serves as an assistant clinical professor on pharmacy. Peter leads a dedicated team of healthcare professionals at Coastland Farm and oversees pharmacy operations in order to support health and healing of patients. In his 20-year career as a pharmacist, Peter has seen profound impact high-quality compounded medicine can have on the lives of patients. Because of this, Producing the absolute best patient outcomes is what drives his decision as a CEO of Coachland Farm. When he is not in the pharmacy, Peter spends his time consulting with and educating doctors about the multiple applications of compounded medicine in their respective fields. This is going to be a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to dive into compounding. Enjoy the episode and please rate and review my show. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you and have a great day. Well, Peter, Peter, Peter Koshland, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Thanks. I'm looking forward to this. This is a first for the podcast. I've never had the privilege to speak to a pharmacy doctor before, or a doctor of pharmacy, or a PharmD, or whatever you want to, what do you call yourself? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pharmacy. Especially about compounding, and compounding is an interesting avenue that a lot of people aren't familiar with. I'm very familiar because of my work at a hormone replacement therapy clinic. And so I'm very familiar with compounding, but this is such a great topic. And people are going to be, I think in the future, or I'm, it's happening now, but females, especially hormones, thyroid, and we're going to get into that. But before we do, what was a catalyst for you getting into pharmacy field, number one, and then going from that, from a professor to starting a compounding company? Yeah, I mean, I, thanks for, for inviting me. Great to, great to chat with you. I wanted, I'm a science geek and I, I have a hard science background and I really moved into healthcare just because I wanted to bring a personal element and a service element to my work. And pharmacy was like the best marriage of hard science and personal care and was very fortunate to get into pharmacy school here in San Francisco. But I didn't know about compounding until six years into my career. It was just a perfect fit for me. And for those of you in your audience who don't know what compounding is, the short answer is it's just customized prescription medications, basically. And so if you ever walked into our pharmacy, it doesn't look like a pharmacy. It looks more like a lab. And you'll see all of our technicians gowned up with bonnets and masks and gowns, and they're in hoods, mixing things together and things like that, which is, as a science geek like me, that's just really fun and exciting. But from a therapeutic standpoint, we were just able to achieve things with compounding that I never achieved with dispensing traditional medications. I mean, we obviously going into healthcare, you want to, I think there's an altruism to it. I'm sure that's true for you. You want to get people better. You want to have an impact on people's health. That's a really positive impact. And I feel a little thwarted, to be honest, dispensing your traditional medications. I mean, every once in a while, people, well, yeah, your blood pressure is fine, but are you like feeling healthy and happy and, and discovering compounding and be, to be able to be creative and really get some solid patient outcomes where people's lives were dramatically improved with our therapies was very exciting. So I had kind of helped develop a 
compounding business inside of another pharmacy chain here in the Bay Area. And that business actually went bankrupt and during the Great Recession. And I was kind of looking down the barrel at like working for a Walgreens and back being back behind the counter there. And I thought, I just can't do it. So mortgaged my house, rented a space in San Francisco, which is a, which at the time was a very affordable, this is back in 2009, fairly affordable place to start a business because it was kind of the Great Recession and there were some deals to be had. And it was almost like we struck oil. Like there really wasn't anybody in our area doing what we were doing. And I was going out to doctors and they're like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And so we kind of, even though it was still the Great Recession at the time, we kind of blew up at the time. So but now we're 12 years in and we have a very established business and around 30, 30 employees here. But yeah, it all started from that just desire to just do something more creative and really see the impact right away with patients getting their health improved in dramatic ways. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Do you service just the Bay, the San Francisco, California area, or do you service across the United States? We only dispense within California, and it's really a regulatory reason. We, we're only licensed in the states; so we're only allowed to ship within the state. Okay, but yeah, we, we're definitely we definitely have our reach across the whole state, concentrated around the Bay Area, of course. But yeah, and even within California, we just see a lot of opportunities for people to discover this type of medicine and to learn to work with a compounding pharmacy and have their medications more tailored to their specific health needs. Let's talk about that because there's a lot of listeners that don't know what compounding is. So what is compounding medicine versus, and how does it differ from traditional prescription meds? It's really individualized medication in its truest form. So everything we dispense is a a prescription comes in, but we're actually literally putting together the component pieces of that medication for that one specific patient for that one medication. So we've got the drug, we've got the base, maybe it's a cream, we're going to mix the drug and the cream, we're going to put it in with the correct, making sure there's, we're avoiding any allergens, making sure the dosing is correct, making sure that it's tailored to what their profile demands. So it's like, it's boutique custom medication. One of the interesting things about compounding too, that I think is worth mentioning, is that the relationship with the pharmacist is quite different than it would be with a CVS or Walgreens. I don't know if you've ever tried to call one of those stores and you get hold for a half hour if you want to talk to a pharmacist and the pharmacist doesn't have a lot of time to talk to you and everyone's stressed out. I mean, we've really put ourselves out there as a clinical resource for providers and patients so that we have a very tight-knit clinical experience with the pharmacy. So when we get a new patient coming in, who has never worked with a compounding pharmacy before, we have to kind of explain to them, this is going to be a different experience for you. We're now part of your care team. We're collaborating with your doctor. We're actually probably being utilized by your doctor to help consult on your formulation and utilizing our clinical expertise to like add our two cents in about what might be appropriate for you. So that part of it's also interesting. It's the customization on just the product, but also just that relationship with the pharmacist is much closer between us and the patient and us and the doctor who's doing the prescribing. That's that triad, that perfect triad. I call it the perfect triad. The the triad, the prescriber, patient, and pharmacist, beautiful things happen. (laughs) Yep. Each compound is bio-individualized for the person. So this is the way medicine should be, in my opinion, because you can write scripts all day, but somebody's not going to react to that, especially when we get into hormones if we're getting into thyroid, pain management, and we're going to get into these because you carry quite a, a large, extensive line here. I, personally, I think compounding is the ultimate way to get a person healthy, especially, like I said, with thyroid, hormones, pain management. I mean, we have an opioid crisis. And we're going to get into low-dose Nexatrone. I mean, there's just a really broad array of things compounding pharmacies can do. I think that's where you're heading with that. We always say there isn't a prescriber alive that can't benefit from something we have in our formulary, in our database. It's just a matter of raising awareness that this option is even available to them and also addressing their concerns about quality because there's a lot of misinterpretations about the quality assurance around compounds. And I think there is a little bit more questions that need to be asked of a compounding pharmacy to make sure that they are committed to quality. But the ones that are, are putting out a very responsible and quality product that's really designed to achieve those outcomes that patients are looking for. So 
Yeah. It's just awareness in, in a lot of ways because it's just adding value to what's available to people. Let's talk about the FDA and big pharma here for a minute. Because the FDA is after going after a lot of stupid things these days. And there's big farmers behind them in some way, shape, or form. And I'm going to be the rebel here because that's the name of the, I, I, that's who I am. But like big farmers and FDA are going after NAC right now and many other supplements, which are silly because these are natural reoccurring supplements in foods. Excuse my language. There's a lot of shitty supplements on the market. So I understand the purpose of having some type of regulating some of these because, and I've said it before on my podcast, I can dry dog poop and put it in a capsule and call it vitamin D and get it on the market. So there has to be somebody regulating that. But to take away NAC and now, and they've been screwing with hormone replacement therapy for a while. So let's talk about that for a minute. What is your idea why they're doing this? (laughs) Trying to speculate as to their motives. I mean, I think they're doing their jobs, which is to protect the public. I think what we see in our industry is just a, the pendulum swinging so far to the side of overregulation, shutting things down, that the lack of access to some of these options has actually harmed patients. And, and that's really frustrating as a practitioner. When I have to tell somebody, I can't make that medication that's basically transformed your life for the better because it didn't check a box on the FDA's list. And I think that's part of the conversation that has to be brought to bear and really understanding that there's always a trade-off. Like NAC is a perfect example. I mean, yeah, there's some NAC products that probably shouldn't be on the market because they aren't well-made or have some contaminants in them. But to take the whole class or the whole supplement off the market harms people. I mean, straight up. So we need to have that that understanding of that trade-off and start putting patients at the center of these decisions, not the checkbox, oh, this didn't, there's a box that you get checked, so goodbye NAC. <laughs> but what's the impact of that if it's going to lead to patient harm? And I'm telling you, I've seen this firsthand in my own practice, and it's devastating where people just can't get the medication they need anymore because some of these regulations, that has to be a, a time where those regulators step back. And we need our voices heard in that process as well because it's very opaque. You know, even the FDA, it's very hard to get in front of them and say, listen, here's a bunch of people who are going to be impacted by this decision that you're making. And like, can we like at least find a way to have the guardrails that you want? Like you're saying, not dog poop in the capsule, but some what people need. And we're in that time in, in our history, I think, where that pendulum has swung so far to the shut it down mindset that we have to kind of start speaking up and saying, okay, this is this has gone too far. Are the pharmacists in America speaking up? I think in our industry, yes. Our industry, we've got, we kind of okay. have realized in the last several years that we have no choice but to speak up to our Congress people and to our right. local, state assembly people, et cetera, and, and, and activate our patients to speak up too. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get out there on podcasts and things like that was just to say it's really important that we advocate on that side of it so that we can make sure we continue to have access for these medications, especially the ones who can demonstrate how much of a difference it's made in their lives. Right. Exactly. Well, first of all, what do you think the economic impact of this overreach, the FDA overreaches? Yeah, it's making it very hard to be an independent pharmacy in the United States, for sure. And I mean, when I started pharmacy, there still were a handful of independent mom and pop pharmacies or neighborhood pharmacies. But even in here in San Francisco, they're almost all gone. I think there's like only two or three left. There used to be hundreds of them. Right. So compounding is one of those areas where you can still have an independent pharmacy. And as I kind of described that relationship we have with patients, that's the way it always used to be. That was every pharmacy. You knew your pharmacist. You'd walk down the street and, hey, we've got this problem. And they could either advise you or just been taken away. So that's one of the appeals of this type of business. So we want to be able to provide this. And we just want, we want to be able to, make sure that what we're doing is has the patient at the center of, you know, of all those decisions. Okay. So let's talk about compounding and let's start with the first one that I'm very familiar with. And there's a lot of other things, but hormone replacement therapy, I like to term bioidentical more than I do hormone replacement therapy because our goal as anybody that works in the field of hormone replacement therapy and, and a compounding company is to customer tailor 
this to make you the best version of yourself that the person that's sitting in front of me or I'm on the phone with, if it's something's not working, we got to tweak it. This is probably the top of the ladder for compounding is hormone replacement therapy, thyroid medication for sure. We'll get into that. But then go, you know, dermatology, there's a lot of different avenues here, but let's start with hormone replacement therapy because guys do testosterone, but there's also other things at play with other, just, you can't just shoot me with testosterone and I'll be fine. There's other things going on there that we need to tweak on. So let's start with the men and then we'll, you know, cause men are, let's be honest, we're not that difficult. You know, you tweak a couple things and we're fine. Women have a, are like a old fashioned stereo system with all these dials to get the sound right in your living room. You know, you, you were, I, I mean, I remember in college, I had this stereo with five or six, 10 dials and we had a tweak to get, you know, we could put Pink Floyd on and tweak it so we could hear, hear it the best. And, and that's what a female is. So let's start with the men first and we'll go, they will drop down to the females. Where do you start with a man? I mean, testosterone is low. There's a whole lot of things going on. Where do you start? Yeah. And just as a background, I mean, age related hormone decline happens in men, just like it happens in women. It just doesn't happen the same way. I think for women, it's hormone right. estrogen levels are very stable. They kind of fall off the cliff and then now they're stable at a low level. And that cliff is very dramatic for a lot of women, whereas men, it's a very gradual decline. But if you look at the beginning and endpoints, they're basically the same. And I think what happens with a lot of patients that we see is that there's the, it just crosses a threshold as the age-related testosterone decline happens. It crosses a threshold where people start feeling symptoms of the low testosterone. And it's not always sex drive. It's a, a lot of times it's more energy level. It's people start feeling like low levels of depression, sleep quality diminishes. So that's really what we look for. We, we look at some of those symptoms and we say, hey, let's look at testosterone levels and see if that's implicated. And what really worries me is that in a lot of kind of the more traditional places somebody might go to have those conditions addressed, they might be getting put on antidepressants sleeping pills, <laughs> blood sugar medications. And really what's going on is this age-related hormone decline, partly because we're just living longer than we've ever lived. So we're seeing more and more of this. And what's really going to restore optimal functioning is the right amount of hormone replacement. And you mentioned the word bioidentical, which is kind of out there in the world. And really all that means is that we're just going to give hormones that are biologically identical to the hormones that you already make. <laughs> So that your body knows what to do with them. It knows how to metabolize them. We have predictable right. responses in the body. So that's really where we start. We start with symptoms. We look at their testosterone level. Their overall health status is extremely important. Sometimes it's a great wake-up call to say, hey, listen, it's time to manage your stress and eat better <laughs> because that's going to have an impact. Even if we're able to replace your testosterone, it's not going to work the way we want unless your underlying health is also looked at. And so it all kind of comes in a big package like that. Right. And like you said, men are, are easier because we can just replace the testosterone. I, I agree with your comment that you can't just shoot somebody with testosterone and hope for miracles. We need to have a bit of sophistication around how we treat them and how we monitor them because there can be metabolites that cause problems. You can cause metabolism to dihydrotestosterone, which can cause prostate enlargements, which is right. good. We can metabolize to estrogens that can cause things like breast tenderness and hot flashes even. We can also cause things like testicular shrinkage and those sperm counts, things like that. So there, it's not like it's a, a huge list of problems, but we want to be aware of where the stuff is going, how it's getting in, and making sure that primarily they're feeling better and their symptoms are improving right. and that we're keeping them you know, in levels that are safe. One thing with men... And I, that I saw in the clinic a lot is number one, I look at lab work and go, bro, you're not drinking enough water. You know, it's like, come on, what are you doing? On top of that, I would see, and this is starting to happen because of a lot of the stuff in our food and plastic water bottles and, you know, is that guys coming in at 30, 32 years old with test levels at a, like 220, 230, 310, you know? Oh, my doctor said, my, I always love the one. My doctor said my test levels are normal. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, those levels, I mean, like the normal range for testosterone, it changes a little bit depending on your lab, but it can be from 200 to 1200, something like that, which is it just, it's a crazy huge range. And it becomes kind of the gospel. I mean, it's like, oh, well, you're in the range, so you're fine. It's like, well, that's, that's just, that doesn't cut it. I mean, right. those ranges are developed in certain ways, but they're not really about that individual patient. And I'll tell you, if you're in the 200s, your testosterone to me is low, even if that's a quote unquote in range, you know, especially if you're symptomatic. Right. Yeah. I mean, like for myself, my sweet spot, and that's what we try to get men to and women, you know, we always try to hit that. We want to get that sweet spot. And this is where we, the compounding pharmacist, the doctor come in and the patient. Cause like, how are you feeling? You know, okay, let's run some labs. I'm a firm believer in test. Don't guess. And a firm believer in, yeah. Okay. You feel that way, but what's going on to make you feel that way. So let's run some labs and check it out. We'll talk to the compounding pharmacist. We'll go over this with a doc and him, and we're going to tweak this a little bit. Or like you said, nipples are getting big, male nipples. I, could, I go to bodybuilding tournaments every once in a while, and you can see them on stage. You can play, they're, they're like strong, and but here's these big old nipples, and it's like, what do you do? Somebody's not doing your hormones right, you know? Yeah, interesting. So let's, let's talk about that because it's it, like depression. Depression's a big one. And you feel sluggish, you're depressed. And I know everybody, we're, we're in a time in our, in our world right now that I thought we were going, coming out of, but it looks like we're going back in as quickly as we came out. But depression's common, but we're talking about depression caused by low testosterone. And that's a big contr contributor to, hey, your testosterone is low, get the checked. 100%. And it, because that decline is gradual, I think people kind of slip into it, but you can kind of deal with it. And it, just, it slowly becomes something that's just harder and harder to deal with as the testosterone levels decline. And so again, can we, like we talked about, it's just, this is just something we need to look at. I mean, it's not going to treat every person who has depression, but if low testosterone is the cause of the low mood, this thymia we call it, or even real depression, the answer is testosterone replacement there's no antidepressant that's going to do the job. So it's just part of the things we need to look at, especially as people are kind of slipping into these kind of low mood. I always say it's like, I lost my mojo. It's kind of like the quote I use sometimes. You just, you just feel, they feel like they're not themselves, the men, their energy levels down and they're kind of depressed, their sleep quality's down, all those things kind of packaged together. So this is the appropriate time to look at testosterone levels. If they're low, like you said, we want to test, we don't want to guess. We want to make sure we're being safe about this and then put them on the appropriate levels and then monitor. This is another beauty of compounding is that you can be very nimble about this. So let's get you started with the month's supply. See how you do, see how your symptoms are improving, run some follow-up labs, and then make the necessary adjustments. And this is really common for women. I, we almost always do some of this in women's hormone replacement. But even with men, there is those times where we're, we're not getting the lab response that we want. So we need to look at are we shutting down your natural production? Do we need to do some intervention there? Are we over-metabolizing into some of these other downstream metabolites that we don't want? So it's really a part of it. It's a journey. <laughs> right. And it is a journey. to have that compounding pharmacist there to be part of that so that we can continue to tweak and upgrade and dial in that perfect regimen. So what are some of the things, like I do injections myself. But I know that creams are available, but they were always kind of frowned upon for men to put on their scrotum. But it seems like that's starting to peak back up, climb back up. Yeah. So what, what kind of, what do you mix in the creams? Like there's a lot of, there's, I, I say women, men are simple, but there's really like some things that we need to key on. Yeah. So what are some of the things you mix in a compound to stop some of the bad, I mean, some of the markers that I looked at was SHBG. Mm -hmm. We want to see free testosterone, total testosterone, you know. Yeah, I think I don't see a lot of scrotal application here in my area. I mean, it was popular at the time. I think there was a thought process going around that there is a lot of the enzyme in the scrotum that converts testosterone to the DHT that causes the prostate. So there's some caution there, but it is also something we can monitor. Right. So it's not as long as we're aware of that and we're monitoring, making sure the DHT levels aren't rising. 
it is thinner skin. I think the idea is that's also where your body produces testosterone in the testes. So the blood flow is going to take it right into the circulation like it would if it wasn't being produced by the testes. I still don't see that a lot in my area. I mean, we're really doing yeah injections or kind of a transdermal cream, usually like the upper outer arm or torso, something like that. And we're delivering just different amounts. The key is putting it in the correct base so that the testosterone is going to deliver through the skin. If we're doing something that's transdermal, obviously injections just going in, it's an injection. But the cream, we see this sometimes where right. we give a patient testosterone and we do the follow-up lab in 30 days and the testosterone level hasn't moved that much. It's not an uncommon experience. So either one or two things are happening in my mind. One is it's not absorbing well. It's sitting on the skin and that could be dehydration is a big culprit sometimes because your skin's not well hydrated. So it just, it's just a good barrier. It's just sitting there and not getting into the circulation or we're shutting down their natural capacity to produce testosterone as we're giving it. So we're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. So we're, we're giving it, but we're also taking it away. So things don't move. So we recommend spe uh, very specialized bases for testosterone replacement that are designed to deliver it through the skin, kind of in a liposomal kind of way so they can get through that outer layer of the skin and then just continue to monitor and look and see what's happening. So they're both good ways. Usually the cream is applied daily, whereas the injections twice a week or once a week, something like that. There is one concern with creams that's worth mentioning is that there's a risk of transferring that hormone to somebody else. <laughs> so I just want to make sure we're counseling strongly that you don't give it to a partner, a pet, or a child. And that's really about sustained skin-to-skin -skin contact. So if somebody's applying it to their forearm and then going to bed at night and resting their forearm skin-to-skin right. -skin on their partner in their bed, that will definitely give them a huge amount of that dose or carrying a child or a pet. And there are case studies out there that have shown this happening. So it's a real thing. So that's a downside <laughs> of the cream. But if it's if people understand that, you apply it, you cover it with clothing. After two hours, you're probably out of the, in the clear for the most part, although we do recommend just not having that at all, ever. It, it can be a good way to go. So it's part of the options. Now, with injections, I'm a, not a big fan of once a week. I like to try and mimic the body's natural production as closely as possible. Not that I'm going to, you know, daily is kind of gets, you start to feel like a pink cushion. So I like, I personally, I do three times a week and split it up into three times because it, I'm trying to keep the natural production. Now I know a lot of clinics don't will rec recommend two because they don't want to have to keep replacing a bottle of testosterone. I agree. And when I train doctors, I really say twice a week is my minimum for injections. If you could do daily, if you could tolerate daily, that's ideal. Like you said, it's physiologically producing it daily, but it is a lot of injections. But at least with twice a week, what we worry about is that these, every time you inject, you get a spike in your blood level and then it slowly goes down until your next injection. And we want to keep that the peak and the trough as close together as possible. So the more frequent dosing, the, be the better. And three times a week is even better. The more you're able and willing to do it, the, the less you're going to have that peak and trough phenomenon with the injections. And I have to say, while we're talking about this, is that people, there's a lot of misconceptions about testosterone treatment. They're, you're using steroids. They're just for bodybuilders. It's like, I tell you what, I took a break once for six months and, and I'm 62. And after I took a break for six months, just to see, I was playing around with my body as usual. And don't take that out of context people, but I was playing around. And so I decided to take a break. And I, I, I literally after six months, I was like a boohooing idiot. Yeah. We hear that a lot. And, and, you know, and we're just, I felt like crap. This generation, your generation, the people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s now, I mean, they're just living longer and expecting a certain level of quality of life out of those years that previous generations never expected. We weren't expected to live to 90. So that part of it's really transformed our idea of like, how, as we have this hormone decline as we age, should we be like replacing that to a level that maintains body's function? I mean, 
beyond feeling feeling better, which is extremely important, you're also maintaining your brain and bones and, and muscle as you age. So there's just a lot of things we need to think about. And it's almost like a paradigm shift in, in just terms of, it's not okay to just be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm in my 60s now. I guess I'll wait for my natural aging and decline to happen for the next 20 years <laughs> and, and then just slowly shrink away. <laughs> no, we want to do the things we can do to be healthy and super active and capable all the way till the end. And hormone replacement has a key role in that for men and women. I, I really believe that. And I think we're going to head to that direction once we can get past all these myths and misunderstandings about it. But th that's definitely, it's, it's going to be part of that solution for people as we age. Right. And I, one of the myths that was out there for a long time was it was bad for your heart. It's bad for your heart. It's not bad for your heart. So you, you have to start listening to the people that know, you know, and I know that people look at doctors and when they went to medical school, they, they know what they're doing. Well, I got news for you. That's not the truth. So anyway. You can monitor some of that too. Right. I mean, you know, monitoring hematocrit, things like that to make sure that those levels aren't elevated. So it's just understanding what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve using physiologic doses, not the doses bodybuilders right, use, right. but the doses that our body's naturally made when we were in our forties or when we're feeling good. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's a totally different phenomenon when you're doing it that way. Right. And that it's, it's a game changer. All right. Enough about the men. <laughs> Let's break out the stereo women. Now, first of all, there's a couple of good books and I suggest reading T.S. Wiley. I think it was estrogen matters. Uh, it's a book about, because there's a lot of misconceptions about hormone replacement therapy for women as well. One of them, it caused cancer. And that's not true either because estrogen's protective. So let's dive into the women before we, and I'm not going to go down any more of that rabbit hole because T.S. Wiley's amazing. She has her own line of creams and stuff, but uh, you know, it is what it is. And, but there's, it's a good book for women to read. It's called, Estrogen Matters, I believe it's called Estrogen Matters. Estrogen Matters is by a different author, but it's by uh, a couple of researchers who looked at the science around hormones and breast cancer. Okay. And just absolutely obliterates the myth that hormones cause breast cancer. So I think it's, it's an excellent. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's one I recommend all the time if you want to like do a deep dive into correlation and why it's it's not valid i've got i got i got my books mixed up so let's talk about women and first of all i bioidentical for women is definitely the only way to go because there's a lot of crap on the market that will really screw you up so and pellets is one of them in my opinion but you might you might have a different opinion but i think a pellets that low limit go approach needs to go mm, yeah we so, don't do pellets. I'm not, I can't say I'm super familiar with them, but we don't do pellets out of our farm. I've seen women come in with, I've seen with hair on their, you know, because it's basically you're putting a pellet in and rolling the dice to see if it's going to dissolve at the right time. Right. You know, so, but let's dive into what you do and what compounding does for women. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to men in the sense, like you kind of alluded to, is more, more dialed. And I think with women, we're looking at estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone primarily. And of the estrogen, there's two that we kind of work with. One's estradiol, which is like the primary estrogen that's in women's bodies that kind of treat the hot flashes and brain fog and things like that. And there's something called estriol, which is more for the vaginal dryness, skin, things like that. So it's a pretty limited group of hormones, but I think what makes it challenging or needs to have like a level of sophistication and customization is they, it's not just about each individual one. It's also how they interact with each other. So there's a lot of interplay right. between all these hormones. So understanding the relationship between estradiol and progesterone is extremely important because they need to be well balanced with each other. And what we find in our practice is oftentimes there's a lot of focus on estrogens because they're kind of the treatment drug. They treat the hot flashes, they treat this, but it's the progesterone that's really deficient. And progesterone has all other benefits like helping with sleep quality and helping with anxiety and some of the mood stuff. So we want to look holistically and kind of, we kind of have to dive in with everything. <laughs> I mean, things like testosterone for women also can be very important. We give them 
probably a 50th of the dose we would give a man, but a very small amount could be very helpful for some of the symptoms women face. So we're looking at all that stuff, very similar approach though. What are your symptoms like? How, what's, how are you showing up? What do your labs look like? And then kind of customizing and then following up. How, how are you responding? Are you feeling better? What do your labs look like now? Making some adjustments and you know, continuing that process. Okay. And one of the things, women are mainly creams, correct? Yeah, for progesterone, oral is probably the most common. So it's they have really different effects right. given orally. Progesterone is wonderful orally because it has a metabolite because the oral drugs go through the liver before they enter the bloodstream. And they're highly metabolized in the liver before they ever enter the bloodstream. And one of the primary metabolites of the progesterone is this other hormone compound that has high GABA affinity in the brain and is really great at improving sleep quality. Mm. That's one of the main complaints a lot of women come in with, especially during the perimenopause phase. So that's typically given orally. Do you, the estrogen, so, yeah. Do you sorry. use trochies? We use trochies sometimes. Uh, trochies are like a sublingual dosage right. form, and it has some oral and direct absorbing abilities. So for progesterone, that can be really helpful. Kind of depending on how much the sleep issue is an issue, I think kind of helps determine that stuff. And also, if they have a history of major depression, Sometimes the oral progesterone can be problematic in those patients. So we want to be cautious in that patient population. But the estrogens given orally have all sorts of negative effects that progesterone just doesn't have. They tend to mobilize clotting factors in the liver. So you get mm. more clotting in the blood, which is not good. It tends to increase sex hormone binding globulin, which is what carries the hormones around, which is okay. But then it starts to lower your free active hormones because it's binding everything up in the blood. So that's not good either. So the estrogens we, we give transdermally or transvaginally, the progesterone, we probably most likely start with oral, but then we, we can move to a transdermal or transvaginal application if that's appropriate for the patient. And what do you do? What do you use for oral? Is it a, a, just a... In our pharmacy, we use a, a progesterone, a, a powder a progesterone. Some doctors like an oil-filled capsule. For absorption, sometimes okay. we put some ingredients in that kind of slow down the release of the progesterone, so it extends its the capsule dissolution over time. Especially in women who like wake up a lot in the middle of the night, it tends to improve absorption a little bit too. So, yeah, it, again, it, it's a very simple formulation. It's progesterone in the capsule with maybe some other ingredients to help kind of slow down the dissolution of the capsule to, to prolong its absorption in the body to have that good sleep benefit over a prolonged period of time. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I've not done much of the female side. So that's something that I would love to dive into, but I just haven't had the time. But I mean, what, what do you, when you, do you tweak them more? I mean, do you measure them more often than you do men? Yeah, I think so. I think if we usually with the men, we get them on their regimen and we, we do the follow-up and usually we're kind of there within three to six months, I would say. Okay. There's a, maybe some tweaking, but it's nothing major. With the women, because there's so many variables and they're all interacting with each other, it takes a few more iterations to really dial it in. Now, sometimes we get lucky and we're like, we got it, we're good, the labs look good, you're feeling great. But that's usually the exception. Usually there's gonna be some changes. Now, now we just kind of try to set up our patients' expectations when they come in with their new hormone prescription or getting started. Give it six months to really work with this. And we need the patients to be good reporters of their own health too. This is where a health coach can be really helpful because the symptoms are really important in terms of determining, are we on the right track or are we on the wrong track? So sometimes that's kind of interesting because I think patients come into a doctor's office and they say, okay, I, I can't sleep. So here's your Ambien. Okay, go away. <laughs> and uh, instead of saying, well, here's your Ambien and right, tell right. me how your sleep quality is. And here's a sleep journal. And, you know, we just don't, people aren't always kind of ready to like take that on for themselves. But it's a great opportunity to start that process because as you all know, people need to do that. People need to be advocates for their own health and understand how their symptoms present so that they can give us those pieces of information to make the right choices for them. It's a great diagnostic tool and it's free. <laughs> we don't have to pay for labs. So that's really how we're doing it. We're having conversations. Right. We're seeing if symptoms are improving. We're doing some follow-up labs and then just going from there. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here. At your compounding company, you have a team of people that answer to the 
patients as well as the doctors? Or what's your chain of command there of the triad? <laughs> I mean, it really comes from the doctor. I think like, I, I see our role as kind of consulting with the doctor and delivering the care of the doctor. We talked about the triad. So, but what's interesting about our role as pharmacists is that we're probably more in contact with the patient in an ongoing way. We're also more accessible too. I mean, you can call, ask for a pharmacist and we'll transfer you to one kind of right away. So we're, we are part of that conversation. So you know, we, we want to make sure the doctor is in the loop on this. We're not doing the prescribing we're not giving them the lab tests or anything like that. That's still coming from the doctor, but we want to be part of the, the clinical care team in the sense that we're educating them. We're helping, you know, set them up, understand how to use it, understand what to look for to determine if it's improving. Sometimes the stuff takes a little time to get into your system too. If you haven't, if you've been very hormone deficient for years and years, and all of a sudden we're going to give you a physiologic amount of hormone it takes your body some time to acclimate to that because the receptors on the cells have to shift their sensitivity. All this stuff happens. It takes time. Right. I usually say it's 30 days to really transform all of that stuff. So just kind of helping coach them a little bit. I mean, we're like health coaches a little bit in that regard to help them set up what the expectations should be and what we need from them and what the doctor is going to need from them to move forward with any changes we need to make. So let's move on to thyroid because this is a biggie. I mean, with the food system the way it is, hypothyroid is becoming very popular. <laughs> Not in a good way. But I am a real big fan of bioidentical thyroid medications versus the ones that are made by RX companies, not compound companies. What is your take on that? Because I know personally I'd rather have a natural thyroid in my system than I would something that a man made. Yeah, we, we do both. I mean... Well, for, there's an epidemic of very poorly treated thyroid patients in, in the world. I and mean, we see that all the time and there's options like porcine thyroid. I think that's kind of what you're referring to, which is kind of, a, it's basically the desiccated and dried out purified plant of a, of a pig. That's also standardized to pharmaceutical grade. So it's not like a weird <laughs> product, but it's a pharmaceutical product, but it, it's a more comprehensive product too, right. because it has different constituents of the gland has some of the active hormone, which we call T3, and some of the inactive hormone, which we call T4. So it's a, it's a more comprehensive product. So we compound that. That's also available in a tablet form from a, a drug manufacturer. We also compound T3, T4 combinations for patients. It's, it is a th synthetic prescription, but it's, again, more tailored and customized to the exact amounts of those two hormones that the patients needs. And so what I see in my practice and I was taught when I was in pharmacy school, everyone gets Synthroid. You know, if you're hyperthyroid, if your TSH is about 3.5, you get Synthroid and right, see right. it in six months or whatever. And then the idea is that Synthroid is the T4 component. So it's just T4. It goes in the body. It's, it's an inactive drug. So the idea is that the body will activate it as it circulates around the body when you need the thyroid. And what we see in our practice is that for a lot of patients, that activation or conversion from the T4 to the active T3, it's just very inefficient. And people take their sensory, but they don't feel a lot of effect because they're not getting the active hormone from that product. So this is another opportunity for us to come in and kind of tailor and customize and see incredible changes in patients' health status when we give them a little bit of the active T3 with their T4 and give them something that's actually gonna have the physiologic effect. So we could talk a lot about why that's the case, but it's a lot of patients who are not converting well and they'll go for decades sometimes of patients that can, I, I felt terrible. I've been constipated. Right. My hands have been cold. I have low energy again, you know, brain fog for 20 years. I couldn't figure out why. And we gave them a little bit of the active T3 and all of a sudden boom, things start. To, yeah. It's, I, I it's see it all the time. Yeah. I can't lose weight is a big one. I can't lose weight. Yeah. I can't lose weight. Everything I try, I can't lose weight. Give them a little T3 and boom, they're like, a lot of the problem comes with, in my opinion, and I see this a lot as the doctors wanted yet. Did I asked them if the doctor ran a thyroid? Oh yeah. He ran a TSH. I just want to, it's like, really, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, we need to do I can't just go off a of TSH. I need T3 and T4. It's totally inadequate. Uh, and, and for something right. that's so easy to treat, it's amazing to me how, how many people don't ever, have never had a T3 or T4 level run. 
or a TPO level, which shows the antibodies. Right. And there's an epidemic of Hashimoto's disease out there. And I asked patients, have, have you ever been evaluated for Hashimoto's disease, which is an uh, autoimmune disease that attacks the thyroid gland? Imagine how well stabilized your thyroid levels will be when your body is attacking <laughs> it with its own immune system. And I hear the answer is, oh, no, no one's ever looked at that before. I'm like, wow, there's 22 million Americans who have uh, Hashimoto's. And we assume that's only like 20 to 30 percent of people. <laughs> these are just the diagnosed people, right? So it's, right. It, these are not hard things to do, but there's just a lack of awareness or something. It's, it's kind of crazy. Unfortunately, the ball and chain is not the doctor, but it's more the insurance company. Yeah. Because you have to be able to give a reason why the insurance company to pay for the TSH or pay for the T3, T4, and TPO. And it's just, it just doesn't make sense because the insurance companies save a heck of a lot more money if they just ran all of them. Right. Then we could get it right for the patient. They're going to feel better. They're going to be in the doctor's office less. <laughs> it's like, it's, right. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's like, it makes you want to go, I just want to scratch my head and go, what are you thinking? Uh, but I mean, that's the that's unfortunate. Yeah, so thyroid medication, I think, is one of those hormones and thyroid medication. I want to go into some pain stuff now, because right now, like I said earlier, we have an opioid crisis. We have a lot of pain management clinics pushing oxys, like they're candy, and giving people you know, prescriptions for 120 at a time, and it's supposed to last them three months. Now, if you get somebody on oxys that likes oxys, the 120 is not going to last 120 days. I guarantee you that. So, low dose naltrexone. Yeah, there's naltrexone is a really interesting drug because it's it's an anti-opiate. <laughs> it blocks the opiate receptors. And it has very different effects right. at different doses. It's almost like three different drugs, depending on the dose you're getting. So at full dose, which we call 50, like a 50 milligram dose, it's used for a lot of like alcohol, alcoholism and alcohol withdrawal and craving of alcohol. So that's its effect. It's used quite widely in primary care for that. Then we go to low dose naltrexone, which now we're taking it down to the 1.5 to 4.5 milligram dose. So kind of a tenth of that. It has this powerful impact on autoimmune disease. So we talked about Hashimoto's earlier and how the body's immune system is overactive and it's attacking the body in bad ways. This low-dose naltrexone can be really powerful in, in shutting down that autoimmune process and giving their immune system to kind of recalibrate itself to be not attacking itself, basically. And then we go to something called ultra-low-dose naltrexone, where now we're taking the dose all the way down into the nanogram dosages and even sometimes as low as the picogram dosages. And it's an augment to, it's an augment to opiate treatment. It actually enhances the effectiveness of opiates in terms of their ability to give pain relief. So this is a tool we have. I think interestingly with opiates, they are good at blunting pain, but they're bad at reducing inflammation in the body. They're actually pro-inflammatory. So I think what happens with a lot of patients is when you try to go off of them, this inflammatory process that the opiates themselves have driven and promoted now is now it takes over and, it, and, it, and you feel much, much worse than you ever felt before you even started taking the opiates, which makes them very hard to get off of. So things like the ultra low dose naltrexone can allow us to taper down without having, losing some of that pain relief. And then also switching away from opiates altogether and using things like transdermal technologies to deliver pain relief through the skin into the site of activity if it's something that's localized or using alternatives like ketamine that have a different mechanism of action to kind of enhance the overall pain relieving effect and hope ideally get the opiate levels down if we can. Yeah, there's a lot of good uses for low dose. Yeah. Naltrexone and fibromyalgia, Crohn's, yeah. so multiple sclerosis, uh, MS, ALS, Parkinson's. And I mean, can't, even cancer comes in there. It's an inexpensive tool for the toolbox. It's a it's an amazing therapy. When it works, it's a real game changer for patients. It's very expensive. It's extremely safe. It's been utilized at high doses since the 1970s with very minimal side effects or long-term adverse effects. 
And uh, it's just off of people's radar. It's not something a drug company is ever no. going to develop. There's no profit motive for it, but it's probably one of the most interesting options for all these diseases you mentioned that have this autoimmune component to it, cancer and all these other things. So loop, uh, well, I think lupus yeah, for sure. Yeah. With lupus, MS, Crohn's, you name it. Yeah. Our job is to get in front of doctors so they can learn about this stuff because some of them have never even heard of low dose naltrexone. And, uh, I was going to yeah. just say that. <laughs> and we've got to, we've got to educate them because there's going to be a pharmaceutical company knocking on their door with a, a shiny uh, pamphlet about it. So good. Uh, all right. Dermatology is another, I mean, there's a lot of uses for it in dermatology and skin, nails, f- fungus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good one. Uh, we do it antifungal nail polish. Really? We put the drugs in a, a solvent that lets it penetrate the nail. And uh, a lot of the treatments for that are oral. So you have to do liver function tests and all this stuff. It's interesting because I'll take that to a primary care doctor. And almost every doctor I go to has a dozen patients with this problem, with the yellowing toenail, things like that. So this is, again, a way to, instead of having to give an oral drug, it's going to go through the whole system. We've got right. all these tests. It's a topical treatment. We put the drugs right in it, and it delivers it right to where that infection is. So that's kind of what we do. I mean, this is how we formulate stuff. Okay, where's the infection? What drug that's will awesome. treat it? And how do we get the drug there the safest and most elegant way possible? And that's a- exactly. exactly. Without going through the liver. Yeah, that's awesome. One thing I really, first of all, your websites are incredible wealth of knowledge. Oh, thanks. That will be in the show notes. But compounding for pediatrics has got to be probably one of the best, because what kid doesn't like a lollipop? Yeah, there's this, it's a, that's a cool option. And we do some lollipops for kids who have to go to the dentist's put some medications there so they could be relaxed at the dentist to do their dental work. And uh, we have a couple of colleagues who are, are very skilled in the pediatric realm who do a lot of metabolic cocktails for children who have certain diseases, genetic diseases that they don't metabolize vitamins very well and have uh, issues with that. And they give them very clean and very precise, almost like vitamin cocktails, but very targeted to their specific condition. So that can be a real game changer for people. It's too bad you're just on in the Bay Area. <laughs> well, we're all over the country. There's good pharmacies all over the country. So, yeah, we're just representing our little niche. But if, if you need a compounder, we can help you find one. Or we're, we're out there. There's an option for you. I know. Uh, the other thing was, uh, I mean, urolo- u- urology. And it's not just, you know, ED. There's a lot of ED things you do. Do you do trochies for ED? Yeah, we do trochies for ED. Some of the sildenafil and tadalafil stuff like that. Okay. We allow it to absorb under the tongue a little bit more rapidly. We also do a penile injection for ED. That's for patients who okay. don't respond to those drugs, which is actually a fairly okay. large percentage of men with ED actually don't respond to the Viagra's and Cialis's of the world. And so that actually can be a very... Um, effective treatment for those patients when they're not responding. So it is an injection, but it's a very, it's using a very thin insulin needle. That's why I was going to say, you use an insulin pin for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, even a lot of urologists are. I don't there. know. I don't want a 26 gauge going in there. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's a 31 <laughs> gauge. A very tight. Yeah. And I think some of it, it's, it's actually not even really that painful, but it's needles can be intimidating. Right. So we recognize that. Right. <laughs> All right. Also, psychology, psychiatry. There's some great things coming out on this. And what are some of the things you use for psychiatry for compounding? Well, one of the big things in the Bay Area is ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. This is an uh, emerging therapy that's really seen kind of amazing benefits for patients who are unresponsive to traditional antidepressants. So these are patients who have real serious depression. And treatment resistance is usually defined as tried and failed for prescription antidepressants of four different classes. So they've, a lot of these patients have tried and, and not responded to a lot of different meds. And with this ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, they're being administered this therapy in the, usually in the psychiatrist's office and doing some counseling with it as well. But we're seeing just incredible responses to it. So it's a very, it's, a, it's an emerging area in the psychiatric world, but um, very exciting. And then you got some, an, I saw animals on there. So you make some animal stuff. <laughs> Oh yeah, and a lot of it's surprisingly a lot of animals are on like human meds 
you know, antidepressants for anxiety and actually right. for cats, the most common condition that we treat is hyperthyroidism. They have, it's a, it's not uncommon for cats to have high thyroid issues and lots of other different things, pain management too. So, yeah. I appreciate you coming on today and taking the time because I know you're busy. Is there anything you want to add today that we didn't cover? I think we covered quite a bit. I, I mean, I mean, it's amazing. I, I, like I said, you're the first compounding pharmacist I've had on. And who knows when I'll get another one? But I was pre-pharmacy in college. I never made it past the freshman year. So I've found some other substances that were much more important to me at that time as, as an 18-year-old then. So I ended up in the military and now I've come back around and went through all the, the training for functional medicine. So <laughs> it took me 60 some years, but so it's always intrigued me because the compounding intrigues me more because I think it actually is more beneficial for the person to get compounded for something they can be compounded for than just giving them the prescription saying here to take, take this in the morning uh, and 50 other people are on the same thing, you know, because we're all different. So especially with the areas we've covered today, nobody's, everybody's got different hormones. We all react differently to stress. Thyroid acts differently to stress. Pain, we all have issues of some sort. Migraines are popular and LDL or LDN is good for migraines. So I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you coming on board and getting the word out there about people, you know, and, and even if you live outside the Bay Area, you can go to the website, which is costlandfarm.com. And do you list other, I see you have doctors. Do you list other doctors outside the Bay Area on there or no? No, it's just the doctors we work okay. with in the California. But if, if people want a referral to somebody in our network that we trust, um, we're happy to okay. do that. Um, we have a list of other pharmacies across the country since we know we can't ship there. It's also going to mention another website called compounding.com where we're trying to capture testimonials from patients who are using compounds. Okay. Kind of have a bunch of those testimonials and, and, and patient experience stories to take to the FDA if they ever. God forbid, try to curtail the ability for patients to receive these medications. So that's another great place to go if you want to kind of put yourself out there and, and, and put that uh, information so we can start compiling that for purposes to keep it, keep access out there. Yeah, I'll definitely go there and do that because I, I think that the FDA is wrong on trying to eliminate compounding pharmacy. There's a lot <laughs> of things the FDA does that I want to scratch my head and go, okay, You've got a great website. Like I said, there's a lot of information on the website. There's contact information. But also, even some of the doctors in the Bay Area, probably with the advent of COVID, one of the best things, in my opinion, that I'd love to ring all kinds of bells about that came out of COVID is it really took telemedicine from like the bottom of the total pole all the way to the top in a, in a six-month period. Yeah. Because... Telemedicine was way down on the total pole, and people were like, ah, that won't work, that won't work. Well, when you lock people down, it worked, yeah. and now it's at the top. So telemedicine, I'm sure there's some doctors. Matter of fact, I know a couple that do hormone replacement therapy via tele telemedicine. You know, So reach out to Peter. Also, before we go, you also have some supplements on, on your website. And those are compounded by you there, there as well? Some of the skincare stuff is. We have a few uh, skincare items. Most of it's just private labeled. We What we did is we really vetted out the quality assurance of those supplements and the formulations. So just kind of like you had mentioned, okay. we want to make sure people are getting as good a quality of supplements as they are from their prescriptions. And right. again, it's like, when you take a good quality supplement, you get a difference. So, you know, make sure people can. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah right away. One question I ask my guests that doesn't have anything to do with what we talked about today, but if Peter Koshland had 30 to 45 minutes to kill, what album or artist would you listen to? Oh, my goodness. 30, 40, I can just choose one. It's like the Desert Island. You can, <laughs> uh, you can take a couple. No, I was just listening to 
Misty Mountain Hop by Led Zeppelin on the right. To, okay. to work this morning. It came on the radio and I thought, okay, this is a pretty good song. So I'm like, I'm yeah, like, yeah. that's today's tomorrow's going to be something different. So <laughs> All right, I thought maybe being from the Bay Area would be the Grateful Dead. But... Yeah. <laughs> I do like the Grateful Dead too. Yeah, I do too. I'm not. I, I saw them in Mountain View a long time ago. Okay, yeah, cool. Anyway, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you very yeah, much. Thank you, I appreciate what you're doing, especially putting yourself out there. On I mean, like I said, nobody's ever reached out from a compounding. And when I Googled podcast about compounding pharmacies, nothing came up. So I, I really appreciate you putting yourself out there. And the ones that did come up, we're talking about psychedelics. And that's not that's uh, not the compounding you're talking about. No, no, totally different. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. It's great to have a chat with you, and yeah, get ourselves out there so people know we yeah. exist. So, compounding is an option that people need to be made aware of. Yeah. All right, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.